Hello, and welcome to Makers.dev episode number 26. Chris, hey, how you doing? Hi, I'm, I'm doing okay physically. Uh, I, th this week was kind of uh, rough mentally. We can talk about that a little bit, but uh, I'm doing all right. I'm doing okay. Uh, how about you? You had COVID. You have COVID. How was how that going? Yeah, I think had. Today had. feels like the first day where I feel back to like 85% energy. I was physically doing poorly. Man, we, we've talked about this before, but just physical stuff, if you're if you're disrupting that foundation of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you, nothing else matters. And I, I I'll, I'll get into this later, but not having full effective breaths and also having just weird other symptoms of like allergies are much worse because it's sort of a thing that affects respiratory. Man, just everything else is off the table and like all of my attention is fragmented and that's starting to affect my sleep and then sleep cascades into, into other stuff. I, I, uh, I felt very delicate this last week of realizing this, this razor's edge that I'm balanced on at this precipice of like so, so many systems have to be working and they have to be working really well for me to be able to, to have uh, full output. But even with that, I still pushed some projects forward, including some very unexpected projects. Uh, I kind of want to launch a Kickstarter now, but I'll, I'll talk to you about that later. Uh, that's that's uh, what I got. Uh, you said you said mentally this last week was rough. Uh, what, what was going on? Yeah, so um, so last year, sometime last year, I sort of burned out. Uh, not not full on, but you know, just kind of like I was sort of tired of stuff, and that's kind of why I stopped consulting and started my own projects and stuff, and that got me back you know to a good place. This week, I uh, took a very small consulting project with a company that I like. Uh, they are a small company. They just raised money. They're, you know, their founder is super nice. Um, and I started consulting, and they got me hooked up to Slack and GitHub and, and all this stuff. And I almost immediately said, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I didn't realize that before. Um, but, like, all of the emotions of the end of last year came back. And I realized why I stopped consulting and why I wanted to do some of my own stuff. And that has me sort of concerned about, you know, I know that I can consult and make money, but if I'm going to hate it, then that's not good. Um, and also, mm -hmm. like, this week was sort of busy family-wise. Like, nothing bad, just busy. Like, people had to be different places at certain times. And, like, I realized how much I've come to rely on the flexibility of not having someone, like, you know, ha like, not having a stand-up every day and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so I was just trying to, like, mentally work out, you know. I've had this in my mind that I can always back up, you know, to consulting again. Um, but yeah, if I really don't want to do it, if I'm actually burned out from it, um, and I didn't realize it until I started again, uh, then that's not good. And so I need to figure that out. Spooky. That's a difficult position to be in. I think I also have in the back of my mind that like the, the risks I'm taking in business aren't that big because I could always go back to working, uh, in a, a traditional job. Uh, but yeah, if, if going back to that, you realized that that has a huge negative psychological impact, like, oh man, that, that sort of means you don't have the safety net that you thought you did. That's, that's sounds very spooky. What, if you could, if you could piece that apart a little bit more, do you think you've, what, what specifically about consulting do you feel like is, is causing the burnout? Is it lack of autonomy? Is it uh, that, that you're in this structure of yeah, have to work with other people instead of just doing it all on your own. Uh, what What do you think is behind that? Yeah, I'm so I'm still trying to figure it out because I just had this week of feeling it. I I liked the idea of working with people again. I think that that was interesting. Um, autonomy wasn't that big a deal. Like I was okay working on their project, um, but it was like, so I got hooked up to their Slack and they have like all of the periodic jobs running in a channel. They have all the customer support coming in in a channel. They have all of the um, you know like uh, 
like crash reports coming in on a different channel and i saw those and just got i was like oh man <laughs> there's there's a lot mm. going on like i this is i have not had to deal with this since my last consulting gig basically um and i realized how much of a mental like tax that is to have that constantly um on your side like on your slack and i just realized how much more free my mind was when i didn't have that and um that got me thinking like well do i really yeah do i really want to work on someone else's project and have to deal with all of this you know mental burden for someone else's thing and um yeah so i still haven't fully parsed through this but it's i know it i know you know i felt burnout before so the last time it happened i quit my job and started consulting <laughs> and then uh it happened again in 2020 and i quit consulting and started doing all this stuff so like and it's it's not over so um yeah it doesn't mean i'll never go back to consulting in the future it never means i won't ever get a job again um it just means that like like right now i i don't think mentally i can i can do that hmm. i'm i'm curious about that feeling of overwhelm going into a slack channel i'm i'm, I'm not sure that the logistics of this specific arrangement but like are you responsible in some way for all of these uh support tickets and the and the uh technical projects yeah no that's why it surprised me i could have just hid those channels and i did like i got rid of those channels mm. um and so i yeah i still like it's an irrational feeling and i know that but that doesn't help like <laughs> the feeling go away um mm. so yeah I, like um it's something i i have to think about some more because like i basically just got over it um you know yeah so yeah but now i know i don't want to fall back to consulting in the in the near term again that's that's yeah, what yeah. i know so yeah well, I guess reason to double down on uh, <laughs> the SaaS stuff. You got to make some money. Make sure you, yeah, make sure you get something to, to work there. Uh, I'm I'm reminded of uh, I've I've never had a real job. Uh, I worked very briefly as a receptionist for my dad's medical office, uh, and I did like an internship with a startup in California for uh, a couple of months. And both of those were just soul crushing to me. Uh, when I was in California working for the startup. I gained weight, which is like not a thing that I do. I gained like 30 pounds. Uh, I was just, I was just snacking on uh, peanuts and just hating my life and uh, felt really frustrated that I felt like the direction of the company was not one that I agreed with. Uh, I, I wanted to work on a different area of it that I thought was much more exciting. Uh, and uh, I don't know how much I can say about this now. It involved Google Glass and I believe retrospectively I had the correct position about the future success of Google Glass and the company leaders did not. Uh, but that's up to interpretation. And uh, I think if I was in the position of the leadership of that company, I would have acted in a very similar way. But I felt very frustrated that I didn't have the autonomy of being able to do what I thought was the best thing to do and sort of go off in my own direction and uh, through my life and following my intuition. Like that's led me to really good places. So it, I. That, that feels like the correct thing to do. Uh, and But where that's led me is like, I feel like I'm unemployable uh, because like I, I was having a conversation with uh, the people who run Riverside because uh, they were, uh, they, they had found out about the, the automated video editor that I made for editing this podcast. And they were like, oh my gosh, like we would love to hire you. And just immediately my, my emotions and my entire body was like, that's not even an option. <laughs> no, you you can't hire me because I hate that. Uh, and I think every strength is a weakness and every every weakness is a strength. I think I think there are attributes of a person that make them very industrious and very good at focusing and very good at like going down one track. And you know, you're, you're given this 
you're given this Slack channel of these jobs that come down the pipeline and uh, it's it's your job to just work diligently and not really question and, and work forward, even if it feels kind of hopeless of like, there is no end to this queue uh, that, that you can push forward in that. My dad is very good at that. My dad is incredibly industrious. He's very good at just putting his head down and doing that work. Uh, and I am not. Uh, and it's it's been very difficult in my life making the sacrifices I need to be able to work in a way that's uh, in a way that jives with the the way that I'm actually doing work and that that uh, works with my temperament. So I relate strongly to uh, your predicament. Yeah, uh, one of the things that frightened me so much about this was like so in the book Drive, um, I think Dan Pink, I think is the author. Um, yeah, he talks about mastery, autonomy, and purpose, um, which you kind of talked about and. The, the thing with this is I, I felt like I had all three of those with this consulting gig and I thought it was gonna be great. And then it just wasn't. And so that's, that's kind of where I'm like, you know, I, I don't know where that puts me. Um, so yeah, that was kind of my last week and, um, just trying to work through that still, uh, still haven't processed through all that feeling, those feelings. But the thing I am really excited about is this AI competition that is still going on. Yeah. Uh, we just got a week left, right? Yeah. So a week left. Um, and so next week, depending on when we record, we either will be, it'll be just before or just after the, the deadline. So, um, depends on when we record, but yeah, I'm in like fifth place or so this is with my new process. Um, and I'm back down to the score I was before. Um, but this time I think it's a legit score. Um, and the thing I talked about last time where, uh, people will, were like hand labeling training points, um, mm -hmm. the Kaggle, uh, staff came on and said, that's not allowed. And so, um, like it was kind of a fine line. All the top teams were doing it. Um, and now it's not allowed. And so basically like all the top scores are like suspect now because like they, mm -hmm. they were all doing it. So, um, yeah. So basically all the teams chimed in on that thread and said, okay, we'll stop doing that. <laughs> and, uh, they have to, they have to now submit scores. Like the rule is you, your final things you submit can't be, you know, like if, if you do that now it's against the rules, you know, it's against the rules. And so you'll get like disqualified. And so, um, yeah, so I'm in fifth place, but that's a legit score and the ones above me may or not, may not be legit. So, um, hopefully I'm, I, I know I will not be the first beat the first place score. They have said that they are very close, even without the, the hand labeling. Um, and they are a meter better than I am right now. So I, I won't beat them, but I could get, yeah, maybe second or third or fourth. So we'll see. That's very promising. Oh, I'm so excited for you, especially having such a high score, like with knowing now that you're doing it legitimately that you've that you've gone through your entire process and uh cleaned it up uh i'm very excited for after the competition to, to get more details on like exactly what had happened uh and get the the juicy innards of <laughs> what this algorithm was uh but yeah that, that is so exciting uh how promising uh here here's the question i think that that is coming to my mind is like what do you feel like is the important difference between working on this AI project and doing the consulting work. Presumably, both interesting technical challenges. Uh, sounds like they both have mastery, drive, and uh, what was the third one? Uh, mastery, autonomy, and purpose. Mastery, autonomy, and purpose. Drive was not one of those things. Uh, drive drive is, the, is the name of the book. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's why I got confused. Okay. Uh, if, if you were trying to compare those two types of work, what what are the important differences that come to mind? Yeah, so it's a good question. Um, Paul Graham has a great quote where he says, like, developers, they just want to write code and get paid, 
or like they mm-hmm. want to write code like they don't want to do the marketing and all, all the other stuff uh, or support or whatever um kaggle is like the closest i've ever felt to that like uh there's no boss right there's a leaderboard like that's it you write mm-hmm. code and you go up the leaderboard or not and uh and and that feels incredibly like mer- like it's, it's like a meritocracy basically like you do well and you go up the leaderboard um so that's the only thing i can think of like it, i'm learning as i go and so the other the consulting job was like it was just react right like i know react mm. super well so like there's basically almost no learning that would be happening there necessarily um so maybe that too but even that like uh, yeah i don't know but yeah, I do it on my own schedule. I do whatever I want. And if I go up the leaderboard, I do well. And if I don't, then I know I've done poorly. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's, it's interesting. I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Is it, is it the leaderboard? Is that the difference? If I added a leaderboard to your consulting job? So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's something to that. Like I want to go up the leaderboard, right? I, I want to mm. figure out what the other teams haven't figured out. Um, but I think, I think I would do it even if, like, even if, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I think I would do it even without the leaderboard, I guess. Um, it's just more exciting with the leaderboard. So, mm-hmm. so that I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure. How interesting. I'll be, I'll be chewing on this of what this could be. Is it, is it that the competition is hard and the consulting is not? The consulting is just sort of like you could plug in any Rails developer and they could get it done. But you're you're exploring yeah. new territory with the competition. So that's possible for sure. Like it's hard in a way that I haven't experienced before. I also I really love the style of programming that it is. So generally, it's like um, I do not generally like uh, typical programming jobs where you like write a test for a spec that's in Jira and then you submit it and it goes through CI and you know like mm. and then it gets deployed. Um, I really, really like cowboy coding, which is really bad <laughs> for products, but really great for AI. Cause like you do it and it either works or not. And if it doesn't work, you throw it out. And if it works, then you clean it up later. Um, and that's, that's something I'm really good at. And so I think it's part, partly that, like, you know, I have, mm. I have no tests. I have files everywhere. It's a disaster, but I'm still climbing the leaderboard. Um, so that's part of it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> okay. I, I, so I'm hearing elements of mastery in that it's, I may be misinterpreting what mastery is, but that it's something very difficult as opposed to something that's more rote that, that you write tests for it and it could be done uh, by someone who wasn't necessarily as skilled as you. And also autonomy that you're able to just do the AI project however you want with whatever method works and there's a system and a formula and there are more constraints in, in doing work for a, a bigger company. Uh, is there a difference you feel in purpose? Would, is the purpose of doing the AI competition, does that feel deeper? Because now it's you proving that like you beat everyone in the world. At, at, uh, <laughs> or maybe that's something deeper of like that the, the, the purpose of this competition is more important uh, than the, the work that would be done for in consulting. Uh, so I, the difference might be, uh, like it's teaching me more things. I'm learning AI versus the other thing is I'm just doing react, which I already know. Um, I actually think the purpose for the company is, is more, uh, important for the world than, uh, the current competition I'm doing. So like generally, like, I think, you know, it'd be better for the world if I worked on the company than the, um, AI competition, which is interesting. Um, 
but like I guess personally, I'm getting more out of the AI competition than I would out of just a regular consulting job. Hmm. Interesting. So yeah, I haven't worked through it all yet. <laughs> Sounds like if you figure this out, I would love to know uh, what's going on because I, I run into this all the time. I ran into this this last week of like, I'm not working on the thing I think I should be working on. Uh, and if, if I can tease apart what those elements are of like why I find some types of work more interesting than others, I'd love to be able to, to further hack myself into going down the route that makes more sense in the, in the long term. Uh, neat. Uh, any other updates in, uh, oh, you, you, uh, we're doing work in progress with Alex Hillman. What's, what's up with that? Yeah, yeah. So that uh, we had our first uh, meeting with that. So work in progress is a uh, basically I'm paying someone to keep me accountable. <laughs> it's, it's like a small group setting of people who are working on generally SASs, but other things as well. Um, mm. And we had our first meeting, like our intro meeting, and then they split us into groups and those groups are meeting this week. So this week is re the real kickoff. Um, so yeah, I'll have more information about that. But I I'm excited about that because that is getting me back towards SAS a little bit, which I also still want to work on. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, so I'll have more updates uh next week i guess for that um let's see what else oh i'm, I, I'm very curious oh, especially after this this uh this conversation how that will fit into this mold of what's the work that you feel driven to do uh and are there are there elements of working on this ai project that you could bring into this work in progress for me uh, i joined a mastermind with the intention of that you're describing of uh, wanting more external accountability. And it worked for a little bit. And then I realized, oh, I'm not actually accountable to these people. I'm, I'm only as accountable as I want to be, uh, which is something I just eternally struggle with. Uh, and so then it, it just became sort of like more of a fun check-in and uh, being able to talk to people who had perspective on the things I was doing. Uh, but, oh man, I would love to crack this code of like, why are the things that are interesting to me interesting? And can I shape and mold that with a trick as simple as I just need a leaderboard. <laughs> I just need, I just need to know <laughs> that I'm beating other people at something. Uh, and right. if, if I have that, I'll, uh, I'll go more in that direction. Uh, yeah, cool. I'm, I'm interested to hear your insights and comparing these three different types of work and what you feel more driven to do. Yeah, it's something I have to do more work on, especially now that I've had this experience and I need to like still parse what that means. So, yeah, yeah more of that. Um, oh, one last thing before we turn it. Uh, I am very close to buying a deep learning machine of my own. Yes. Um, Google Colab. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, it was, I, I basically, I, I'm to the point now where I'm asking like companies what their lead times are for the, these processes, these GPUs. Um, yeah, I, so Google Colab was working great, uh, except then I started a new Cal competition, um, one of the next ones. And this is more, so it's dealing with sound, but the way you process sound in AI is you turn it into an image first, like a spectrogram, and then you process it, oh, cool. generally. Um, the problem was, so I had like 16 gigabytes of these uh, images, um, and I had to get them to Google Colab. So I did that through Google Drive, and the, that's the way you do it. And the problem is the transition time between Google Drive and Google Colab is like, a thousand or 10,000 times slower than a normal hard drive. Like it's over mm -hmm. their network, you know, in some data center somewhere. And it took like hours to transfer 16 gigabytes. And I have to do this every time I start a new session. And so like when, yeah, it's just super, super awful. 
I yeah. cannot, like I've looked online, there's like no good way to do this. And so I either have to make my data a lot smaller. I, like I, you basically just can't do it. Um, yeah. So <laughs> I either pay, you know, between, yeah, I either pay one to $4 per hour for a spot, you know, instance, um, or I just buy my own. So yeah, I'm working on buying my own. I'll do that probably in the next few days. <laughs> I'm there. Um, getting a potential hint as to what might be the real motivating factor behind work that you feel driven to do. It's just the work that lets you buy the more expensive toys. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. That's, I think that's what I think do. this will be my, my most expensive purchase ever, except for my house and my cars, um, will be this computer. Nice. Pr- pretty sure it was like 20 grand. I think you were saying or no, you no, were no, no, more than that. No, no, no. It, it's between four and 10, before, between four and 11, between four and 10. So, okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh, where I, did I I'll probably pick from? the app. I'm not sure. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Maybe this was something I was going to buy. Good. That's That seems so much more reasonable now that I'm anchored at 20. Like, ah, oh, yeah, $4,000. Sure. Yeah, do that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That sounds like so much fun. <laughs> I think this is a, this is now a reason to do it. And it's a reason to... It's, it's a tool that would enable you to do work that you enjoy. And like of all of the other categories of ways that I've spent my time, meaningful work is consistently the most enjoyable. Uh, I may have mentioned this on the podcast before, but I was... I was uh, ziplining in Costa Rica. Like, if you could imagine a more exciting, more fun travel poster. I was in it. I was living it. And it was amazing. I'm going through and it's like hundreds of meters above this beautiful forest canopy. And I'm seeing toucans and I'm seeing all this kind of wildlife. And I'm zipping through the forest at like 60 miles an hour. And it's this light drizzle of rain, which slicks the line even faster. So the, the guides are saying like, oh, we're going especially fast right now. Uh, it was just so much fun. And it's like all these carabiners and some technical stuff. And oh, and it was so much fun for like the first three times I did it. And then the fourth time I was like, okay, you, you do this and you get it. And oh, I'm, I'm getting more used to this now. And then the fifth time I was like, let me try something crazy. And then I like lean back or like try to spin around. And then the sixth time I was like, I'm kind of done. <laughs> and you know, I'm only, I'm only 15 or 20 minutes into this, this hour long excursion. <laughs> and so for the next, for the next 40 minutes, I'm just thinking about work again. I'm just thinking about programs I could be building and, uh, you know, problems I could be solving uh, on my computer. And like really consistently, that's been true of every way that I've tried spending my time. Uh, I think I think there's something to be said for like human connection and, and conversations like this I really enjoy and like having deep conversations. Uh, so this I think is another category of a way that I can consistently enjoyably spend my time. But my gosh, doing meaningful work is just this infinite wellspring for me of when I feel most in flow and when I'm, when I feel most alive and most present and uh, when I feel the most purpose afterwards of that I've, I've spent my time in a good way. So if you can spend money to be in that state more, I think that's the best you can be doing with life. I'm, I'm in full support of it. Yeah. I'm, I'm super excited. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, hopefully it, uh, it looks like uh, two to three weeks is about the lead time for the GPU I want. So talk to me again in two, three weeks and hopefully I have one and it's exciting. Great. You want to talk once a week, every week until then? <laughs> Maybe uh, record sure. our conversations. <laughs> great. Sounds good. So, sounds great. Neat. Um, uh, all right. So, yeah, that was all about me. Uh, how about you? What you get up to? Meaningful work. Most important thing in my life. Uh, doing that. And it sure is hard to do that when you can't breathe. Uh, having COVID sucks. If there's anyone out there who is thinking about getting the vaccine and you're not sure because maybe it was made with fetal cells and... Maybe it has some trackers in it that Bill Gates implanted and 
maybe it's this new experimental mRNA vaccine. I've researched all of those issues in depth. I've had so many debates with my family. It's all bogus. It's fine. Uh, it's so much safer than driving in a car is. So if you drive in a car, you should get the vaccine. And my gosh, it would have been so much better to just have this over in a day and be done with it than uh, this lingering out like, oh, it sucks. And I can't smell. And apparently I can't smell for the next like four months and that's going to suck. Uh, it's, it's very interesting and I'm looking at the bright side of it, but like would have been so much more preferable just to, just to get the vaccine. Uh, if you're listening to this, please get the vaccine. If you have a reason not to get the vaccine, DM me. I would love to talk with you about that. I think it's very reasonable to have doubts. Uh, th this is a very new thing. There are a lot of unknowns. And I have found myself after exploring both sides firmly in the camp of like, it makes so much sense to get the vaccine. Uh, and this is not something that I came dogmatically to. This is like, I have put my due diligence into this, into this question. Uh, so I, uh, dealing with that and dealing with lower energy, something I notice about myself when I'm in these states of lower energy is that I become much more fragmented. It's so much harder for me to like pick a direction and just work on one thing and push that forward. And so what that turns into is I am just drawn in the direction of the shiniest, coolest project. And <laughs> what that was this last week, uh, I mentioned this a little bit in the last episode, is learning as much as I can about how to build tiny houses, which is so cool. <laughs> and you can just build a house. Like, how cool is that? It's just wood. <laughs> and uh, found myself, I, I uh, enrolled in four different courses and I'm mixing and matching all the different information I'm going, uh, I'm getting from each of these courses and into a, a cohesive model that makes sense for me. In the process of this, found out that the way people build walls doesn't make sense. And there's this new method of building walls that uh, would solve so many problems of, of traditional construction. Uh, it's just, it's a different way of doing it. Uh, the, the core difference, it's called the perfect wall system. Uh, I'll send you a link to this so you can include it in the show notes for anyone interested in building a house. The traditional way that you insulate a wall is to put the insulation between the studs in the wall, but that's dumb. And that's dumb because if you're cold, you're not going to stuff insulation between your ribs. You're going to wear one big cohesive jacket. That's like this external layer of insulation. Uh, also now your waterproofing layer is right outside of the uh, plywood that's in your studs. That's a very important layer. And now that's exposed directly to your siding. There's nothing protecting that, that water barrier. Now you're going to get mold in and then the mold is going to go and find the, the insulation and uh, it's, it's going to get moldy and, uh, you can't access it. So, uh, things like that. And, and now that you're doing that, if you have all the insulation on the outside, you can do some cool things like have one entire cohesive, no break, uh, water and vapor barrier and air barrier on the entire outside of the house going seamlessly from the roof all the way to the foundation. And then also under the foundation. So you have this perfect air sealed envelope so that nothing can get in. And then you put the insulation on the outside of that. And then you put the siding on the outside of that. And it's really cool sort of taking this uh, skill set and this mentality that I've been honing in software development of researching these tools and uh, pipelines of evaluating, okay, React versus Angular, let's talk about that and which one makes more sense. And, uh, you know, the data flow of hooks versus the data flow of, uh, you know, having one global variable or something. I feel like it's, I feel like it's honed my ability just to think about any sort of abstract system. And it feels really fun to apply that to a domain that I'm, as of two weeks ago, knew nothing about. And now I feel like 
I know more about building houses than like most house builders do. I don't know if that's true, but <laughs> I, I at least have very strong opinions about the ways that houses are built. Uh, so I've enjoyed that very much. And I was reminded of our special acoustic cock episode because one of the ways to be <laughs> doing this vapor barrier ceiling, uh, especially for tiny houses, which move around a lot, was acoustic cock. And I, I thought of you. Um, so that, that was... <laughs> That was the area that took up the most amount of my uh, mental energy this last week is like picking up the skill of building houses. And I'm very excited to be uh, building a house, a little tiny one. That's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. I find construction really interesting um, because it's in a lot of ways, it is like software development. You know, you, you like put the layers up and there's different ways to do things and different builders have different ideas. And then there's new ideas that come out. And uh, it's like, yeah, obviously it makes sense. You know, like, um, so we looked at building a house before we bought this one um, and we didn't, we bought this one, but um, yeah. And I kind of found similar things, you know, it's like, why do you put insulation between studs? Then you have a stud that is leaking, you know, you have wood leaking. <laughs> the, the, so you put the insulation on the outside. It makes a lot of sense, but it costs a little bit more money. So people don't do it. Um, and uh, yeah, so that uh, that's super cool. Um, you said you bought a bunch of info courses. What um, Have you learned anything about uh, info courses that might be helpful in uh, selling your own or, or building your own? Man, so many. The checkout flows of all of them were bad <laughs> the you know i want I, they have advertised that they have this thing that i want and you would think oh i type in my credit card and then as soon as i hit purchase i am i have the thing and the thing is right in front of me and invariably i go through the checkout process and it says great you bought the thing and i'm like where's the thing <laughs> and i check my email and in my email it says oh here's a receipt for buying the thing and i'm like Okay, but where's where's the thing? I, I bought the thing. And then I email support and I'm like, hey, I bought the thing. Uh, where's the thing? And they're like, yes, you did buy the thing. Uh, you should get an email about the thing. And I said, no, I didn't get an email about the thing. I, I'm looking for the thing. And I had two separate five-day processes from the moment I bought the thing to when I actually got the thing. Uh, no, why are you doing that? And it, it I was reminded of just like, onboarding is really important. And I am extremely guilty of this with file inbox. Uh, there's, there's a crucial step in my onboarding process that I feel embarrassed about that it's existed uh, in this form for so long. Uh, I, file inbox used to be only a uh, Dropbox product. And so in my database layer, there's a lot of concepts of like, if the file has not gone to Dropbox, it has failed. And when someone, and that, that has since changed to like, you don't have to have it associated with Dropbox. You could also have it with Google Drive or you could just have it, you know, you access the files online or, or from email. And in my database layer, I still show that a file has failed if it hasn't gone to Dropbox. And so, and I have some ways that I smooth that out later in the process, but when someone signs up initially for an account and they upload their first file, it highlights in red and it says failed next to it, <laughs> but it hasn't actually failed. It just hasn't gone to Dropbox. And I was reminded of this uh, two days ago, a friend of mine signed up for the site and was like, hey, I think your site's broken. Uh, and oh man, I just feel awful about that. Uh, and I think that's the same sort of mistake that these site uh, info course people are making of like, they just haven't experienced the product as someone going into it for the first time. And that's not hard and it doesn't cost money. You don't have to like hire an onboarding specialist. I just need to go through the product again with the mentality of, if I didn't know anything about file inbox and I just had the problem I was trying to solve of, I am trying to receive files and I know what that frame is. I've, I've talked to a lot of people who have that problem. 
Uh, and for these people with info products, if they're just going through with the frame of like, okay, I'm trying to buy my product because I want to buy this course. Uh, let's make sure that I can actually do that. Uh, that the problem gets solved so quickly and it wouldn't cost any money. It's just like an exercise that you need to do. And I think I've had resistance to doing that just because it feels bad to find things to fix because then I realize like, oh my gosh, how how terrible is it that I've had this terrible thing that has caused people this strife? Uh, I am in the position of these course owners of like, I'm not delivering the value that is on the can that, that they should be getting. Uh, also, there's an exciting framing of this of like, File Inbox has been making money despite being in this terrible onboarding position of highlighting files that were successfully uploaded in bright red and saying that they failed. So how much better will it be uh, when I fix this this very small problem? Uh, I'm I'm limited a little bit in solving this particular issue because I feel like I'm right on the cusp of being able to do this integration uh, of serverless and like that's one of the many problems that I could solve uh, by just integrating the, the serverless flow. And I think it would also be beneficial just to, you know, remove the line of code that says that uh, a file has failed. Uh, that, that doesn't need to be there. That would take me 10 minutes after this podcast. So I'm going to do that. And also this week, I'm going to uh, integrate the serverless stuff that I've been talking about for months, Chris, months. I'm, I'm just going to do it. Uh, that's, that's one of the things <laughs> yeah, I was gonna... in uh, these info products. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Uh, yeah, I was going to say first, can you just comment that out and like uh, just not show a failed message even if it is failed? Uh, that seems like a better experience for most people. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'm excited for the serverless stuff. Are you actually closer to getting it uh, implemented or are you, uh, uh, how is that coming? I am mentally closer. Uh, <laughs> no code has been written, but progress can be made uh, without code. I was actually going to ask you about that technically. Uh, of just how you would approach this because you you have familiarity with like Vercel and React and also uh, Rails, which those are the those are the three pieces I'm trying to fit together. Uh, the the specific problem I'm chewing on is I would love to eventually have this entire application on Vercel running serverless entirely in React, and a whole bunch of it right now is in Rails, and I would love to progressively move over of starting with just an upload page and just the upload page is, is going to Vercel. And then uh, maybe I also do the upload settings page and move that one over. And I would love to just be doing this like a view at a time. A way that I could do this, that is the way that I was thinking I was gonna do this is just to install uh, React in Rails and you can install Webpacker and have React views within Rails and then you redeploy your Rails application and then uh, it's, it's getting built server-side and serves up and then it can uh, hydrate the views and that that works fine. That would be functional. Uh, the problem is deploying Rails feels painful. It's, and it's not really, but like, I, I don't like the idea that all of these Docker images are getting redeployed on these two different servers and like that, that feels much more clunky uh, and it just feels buttery smooth for me to deploy on Vercel. I just get push and then there's the whole automated build pod process that, that happens. Where I would love to be in this intermediate term is to be able to make one change in rails and that's going to be a big clunky change that says something along the lines of like uh if this upload page has this boolean flag that says use the serverless method then actually serve the vercel app and then while i'm iterating in vercel doing the serverless stuff uh making my react views now i can just be hitting those you know i'll, I'll deploy that 20 times in a week uh and then okay i've honed this well enough 
let's go into Rails and do this for another page, flip this Boolean flag, and then iterate in Vercel uh, and, and get that deployed. How would you architect that? Uh, how, how, how might you, like I could do an iframe, I guess, <laughs> just have the iframe uh, in the upload page uh, point it to Vercel, uh, and Vercel could just be like on a, on a different URL. Uh, does anything come to mind of like a, an elegant way to do this? Um, I would avoid iframes. <laughs> uh, <just. laughs> I agree. Um, yeah. Uh, so I've done it a couple ways before. Uh, one is like just deal <laughs> with the Rails deploy for a while. Um, that's one mm -hmm. thing I could say. Um, the other is like, is, is your Vercel app going to be, um, only partially functional for a while or is it like fully functional but you just want some views because what you could do is like send a portion of your users like your new users to the Vercel app and all your old users to the Rails app um, so you could split it that way like even on different subdomains for example um, or I mean I guess you could have different parts of your app be on a different subdomain which points to Vercel like, like, like subdomains is, is basically how I might split this up um, so you have like app mm -hmm. and I don't know next or something um, mm -hmm you know, dot filingbox dot, uh, com IO, whatever it is. Um, yeah. So those are the different ways I would think about doing it. Splitting it based on, yeah. Hmm. Just splitting traffic. The, the problem I have is it's not fully functional and I, I could just make it fully functional. That, that would be a, a perfectly fine thing to do, but it's things like, you know, I have a, an integration with, uh, Oh my gosh. Uh, not right message. The, uh, Oh, the email sending app that uh, uh, Benedict made. Uh, ConvertKit? It's oh. not ConvertKit. It's the one made for SaaS apps. Oh, I forgot the name of this. I have a, I have an integration with that. And uh, that's an integration entirely in Rails. And so I would be in this weird in-between stage of, do I have another account with them? Uh, and now I have two separate user bases. Uh, it, it would just be... It would be cleaner to just do a clean cut and be like, okay, on this date and this time, I'm moving everyone over to this new system uh, and I'm just migrating the database into Firestore. And I would love to be able to do it page by page. Maybe the answer is just just deal with the, the Rails deployments on React. That, that may be what I do. I really want to come up with a clever solution of like, you know, maybe maybe in Rails, when I'm serving a page that I'm transitioning over, I fetch that HTML on the Vercel site on the back end and then just inject that HTML in the front end. So it's as if it's an iframe, but it's like a back end iframe. So the page that gets served that, looks like one cohesive would, HTML document. Yeah. That would be that would be okay as long as your like traffic wasn't that high and your the the latency wasn't that big between the two. But if latency was mm -hmm. high then that would be bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, what I about know. what if I, I mean, do this on the uh, yeah. on the nginx layer? Uh, a, a proxy pass is a thing, right? I can match a path and then oh, sure. based on the path, yep. I can serve a different URL. Oh, that might be it. That might be the that might be the answer. And then I'm just like very briefly hitting the web server, and then I don't need to do anything in Rails. Hmm. Okay. Well, I, I have several options. I think yeah. The, I think the answer is to push forward. Yeah, I didn't realize you were using Nginx, which obviously makes sense. I, so I use this is one reason I use Heroku for everything because I just do Heroku push and it just works. Um, mm. So that's why I like it. Uh, and you have said before you do not like Heroku, which is yeah interesting. But um, <laughs> yeah, 
Perhaps invalid. Uh, I use Doku, which is like a self-hosted Heroku, which hmm. my my rationale for doing that is like I can get much better performance for about a, a, a between a tenth and a hundred of what Heroku would cost for the same amount of performance, and yeah. it's functionally the same thing. I just push and then I get the same same sort of build logs. But like the way I'm expressing this is, it's not it's not the buttery smooth process that being on Heroku would be. Uh, I, I think it would make a lot more sense to go on Heroku and I'd, I'd be getting a lot of these benefits that I'm trying to get from having this serverless architecture just by using Heroku. And yes, it would be more expensive, but you know, I'm paying for not being in this current state of anguish. of like, uh, not wanting to deploy my app on rails because it feels clunky. Uh, yeah, I, I think, I think Heroku would have made a lot more sense. And, uh, if I just gone with them, I maybe wouldn't even feel pushed to do this whole serverless transition because I could just scale up Heroku Dinos and have that be my solution to, to scaling. Uh, but could, could I, like I mean, there's still our, I want to do that. Yeah, there's still our problems with Heroku, and uh, it is very expensive. So, yeah, uh, I mean, I get it. Makes sense. Uh, that's where I am with that. I have one more thing I'd love to talk with you about. One of the projects that I have stumbled on in this uh, process of building houses, I mentioned this briefly on the last episode, is uh, ERVs, energy recovery ventilators. When you build a house with this perfect air sealed envelope, which is where modern building practices are going, it used to be that, that people thought houses had to breathe. Uh, I was talking with my dad about when they built his house and they were like, yeah, they were knocking all these holes in the attic and like intentionally making holes. And I was like, why are you doing that? And they said, oh, your house has to breathe. Uh, and then we found out like, <laughs> that's a terrible idea because that makes mold. and you know, your body doesn't have holes everywhere for it to breathe. You have your two tiny nostril holes and you have your one slightly bigger mouth hole. And that is the air for all of your body. And if all of your body could breathe, that would be bad because uh, having, having the air intake as one centralized system, you get a lot of benefits of, you can have a mucous membrane and we can filter the air and we can warm it. And uh, you can have the system specialized and like, this is where we take in the air. So that's what an ERV is. An ERV is, uh, a, a way to get whole house ventilation when you have a very airtight house. And then you can run it through a HEPA or a MERV filter. And now you don't have any allergens in the air and you can uh, balance it for uh, temperature and humidity. So now, even if it's 98 degrees outside and very humid, you can run it through this special membrane so that it's doing a heat and uh, water exchange with the outgoing air from inside. So now you're recovering like 85% of the heat and humidity from inside that, that would have been lost if you just opened up a window. I think these are so important. And I think everyone should have one. <laughs> and I'm very upset that I only found out about them recently. And it got me thinking. These systems are very difficult and complicated to install. Uh, it was very difficult even to order one. I had to find, like, they don't... They, they sell some of them on Amazon, but they're bad. Uh, and to get a good one, I had to go to this random house site that I think is only used for building contractors. And the process of checking out through that was very difficult. And even with the one that I got, uh, I'm going to try to retrofit it on a regular window. And I'm going to have to build like a special thing. And I had to get dryer vents. And I think I had to buy like a special power plug for this. And I'm going to have to do soldering. And it got me thinking, you know, the thing that I want is just like a window unit that you just put in and an ERV is this machine that takes two inputs from outside and has uh, two, well, it's, it's an input and an output outside and then an input and an output on the inside. And so you could fit all of that in, into a window unit and it would look very similar to like a window fan or a, a window AC unit. And uh, then I just ran down this rabbit hole of like, oh man, I gotta have a Kickstarter for one of these. 
And I think I think what that would look like is uh, I have a cousin who has a, a manufacturing plant, and so I think he could make stuff in plastic and could assemble a thing. And I think I could just buy computer fans as the fans that are driving this thing and then find a source for this ERV core. And I design a thing out of plastic and have him mold it out of plastic. And then in his factory, he can just assemble these four things of like the, the plastic case and then the ERV core and then the two fans and throw a power thing on that and then put that in a box with some styrofoam. Uh, and if I work out with him, what would that cost? I am good at video production. I could film a, a Kickstarter video and then set whatever minimum order I needed to make it make sense. I, I could say, okay, I have to sell $50,000 of these before it makes sense to me. Uh, so that's a, <laughs> that's a, that's a project I'm, uh, sort of excited about that, uh, Seems like a terrible idea because my gosh, how difficult is hardware? And it seems very important to be solving this problem for people because fresh air, I feel so different. I, when I have low CO2 air, uh, that's one of the indoor pollutants that I think is being tragically overlooked right now because any level above a thousand PPM parts per million, there are measurable cognitive defects. If you run a study and you put people in a room and you say like, let me give you this cognitive task and you have CO2 levels low, like at around atmospheric 450, uh, they do great. And if you raise the indoor CO2 to a thousand, which doesn't take very long, it's just like a person in a sealed room breathing for about 30 minutes, uh, they have a marked decrease in their ability to think. And that then has so many cascades, I imagine, of like health and uh, mood. And uh, if, you, if you just open a window that solves it most of the time if the weather outside is good, but you're not gonna open the window if it's too hot or too cold or too humid or too dry. So this device would be a solution to that. And I feel like it would make humans smarter and feel better. And I really want it to exist. And I don't really wanna do it. I just, I just want people to have this. Uh, what's your hot take? This, this seems like a terrible idea for me to do. I just, I just want someone to do it. Yeah, at the end there, you said, I don't really want to do it. So I would listen to yourself. <laughs> um, uh, Good advice. I, yeah, yeah. So, um, so, so it sounds cool. Um, I know a couple of people who have been involved with Kickstarters, and basically their, their thoughts are that hardware is so much harder than you think it is, even if you think it's hard. Um, mm -hmm. it, it does not, like, you will basically lose money on the Kickstarter, probably. Um, it will take up all of your time for a year, probably. Um, it will like it will just cost more and take up more time than you think um and so, and so uh I, I would say something like if you really are super interested in this i would make one for yourself and document the mm. whole process of it and then just try to sell an info product about it first so mm. like you know 49 bucks here's how to make your own thing or whatever um you will learn very quickly if you are able to market that to people um and actually get them to buy it and if people are interested and in how to reach them and then you'll have an email list and all of that stuff um then if that all goes very well, then maybe do a Kickstarter. Um, mm. But yeah, I think people jump into Kickstarter is thinking it's going to be like, like it's cool. They can make this, this hardware thing. Um, and I don't want to discourage anyone, uh, but it's going to be like way harder than you think it is. Even if you think it's hard. Yeah. That is such good advice. That's, that makes so much more sense than doing a Kickstarter. Uh, and I know even exactly how I would do that. I would, uh, I would prototype the device for myself and then I would make uh, CNC files to just be able to cut out the right size box. And then I would have a parts list of like, you know, get this computer fan and get this cable and get this ERV core. Uh, and you can get those cheaply from like alibaba.com. And then here's how you assemble it. And I have a video of how you assemble it. 
uh, yeah, no, that's that makes so much more sense than what I was going to do because that's, you know, 90% work I was going to do already. The only additional work is host the CNC files on Thingiverse and record videos of how I put it together. And then I can sell the design on Thingiverse and then I can be making the $50 I would be making at the end of selling a physical product after I paid for like manufacturing and shipping and everything else. Uh, and then in the case that this is actually helping people, like, yes, it's, it's going to preferentially help people who can see and see their own thing and, uh, are more maker DIY people. Uh, but that's sort of what I want. I want, I want early adopters to get this first, uh, in the case that like that's successful with the DIY crowd. Uh, great. Okay. Now I'm in a very good position where I have this built in audience. If I wanted to pre-make one of the devices, oh, I could, I could even start just by like pre-making the, the CNC like homemade devices and saying, you know, you can, you can buy my plans for building this for $50 or I'll make one for you for <laughs> whatever it's worth my time to, to do that of you know, like $500. Uh, and then you don't have to go through and do any of the parts. And then once I've done that, and these all feel like very manageable little baby steps. Uh, then I can start thinking about, do I more systematize the process of building the physical device? Yeah. Okay. That's, that's great advice. That's exactly what I'm going to do. Thank you. You talked me off the edge. <laughs> cool. Starting a Kickstarter. That's a, that's a terrible <laughs> idea. <laughs> it's, it's funny. Cause I, I've had the same thoughts about lots of different things. It's like, oh, it would be awesome if I did this. And I just don't think about the realities of like, oh, that's going to take a year and a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I have someone cool. who I'm excited uh, to see it, whatever you come up with. Oh, thank you. I think it's going to meaningfully improve my life. Yeah. In the worst case, like I, I will have just made a good one for myself and I'll have a way to make more of them for any of my friends who want one. Uh, I'll, I'll give one to like everyone in my family. Um, yeah, it's, and then, you know, if, if I can help anyone else with this, I'd, I'd love to do that. Uh, yeah, cool. That's, that feels good. That's all I got. That's all I got too. Then I will see you next week. Goodbye.